here last week when Pastor Danny Tice was here from, uh, from Delaware, and uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, Danny being here. Uh, he's always, um, he's just a great friend. Actually, you know, I've shared before he led me to the Lord, but I thought he had a great word for us last week, and one of the things that he talked about was bringing the Bible back into church. Okay, about uh, being people who focus on the Bible, who read the Bible. And so when he said that, I, I thought, man, that's just a confirmation of one of the things that God's been speaking to, to us, been speaking to Pastor Chris and myself, and the leadership about. We, we are always people of the Bible. And so to, uh, to emphasize that, over the next few weeks, we're going to be in a series called Love Letters. And we're going to be looking at, and when we first thought about this, it was about maybe looking at the, the, the Paul epistles and the letters that he wrote to the churches, and, and then we kind of, it kind of got boiled down to, well, we're just going to look at one of the books. We're going to look at the book of Colossians, okay, at the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you have your phones, I would encourage you, go ahead and turn there. We're going to, um, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Colossians, and, and I love that because Colossians happens to be one of my favorite New Testament books. It's got some of my favorite uh, scriptures in there. Um, does anybody have a favorite scripture? Do y'all, have, do y'all read the Bible? Is that okay? But uh, yeah, I, I'm telling you, there's one of my favorite scriptures there in, in chapter uh, 3, in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, Pastor Chris will be talking about some of this in a couple of weeks, but, um, but I love this, and he starts in verse 14, and this we don't have scriptures for this, so you have to actually read your Bible or listen here. He says, um, above all things, put on. <laughs> thank you, Chase Huff. Oh, man, you got to read the Bible. So thank you, thank you. That was... <clears throat> he says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Okay? You've heard Mike say it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You've heard Mike say it. Now you're hearing it from the Word of God again out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let everything be established. Peace. I believe God's got a work of peace that he wants to do in our hearts today. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And he goes on in verse, uh, verse um, 17. He says this. This is one of my favorite verses. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I know many people, many men's favorite verse is, is the next verse, right? Is verse 18. All right, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. You are brave men. I can't believe you did that. So, um, all right, of course, and then husbands, love your wives. But down in verse 23, uh, I just kind of gloss over that. Husbands, love your wives, right? Don't be bitter toward them. So, uh, but verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. You know, I think one of the things I love about this book is that it focuses, everything it's about, it's focusing on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's dealing with some problems. There had, they had started, a, a, Epaphras had started a church there, and there had been some difficulties that are going on, and, and people had been denying the Lordship of Jesus. But he's driving home. Jesus is Lord. He's worthy. He, 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 there's, he, he's, he's preeminent in all things. And we're gonna, we'll talk about this, but I'm just telling you that what he's not doing is just saying, just read letters, just read words on a page. He's writing letters. He's writing the, what we now consider the Bible to encourage people to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so today as we approach the word, I want us to be people 
who are not just looking to dissect the word and read words and uh, on page, but to see what God is lovingly saying to us to bring us into a loving relationship with himself. Because that's what he wants. He wants a relationship with each and every one of us. Years ago, I uh, heard a story And uh, there was a man, and he had been drafted into the military. He was going off to war, and uh, he was engaged to this beautiful lady. And so his heart, his mind was always thinking about her. And so just a couple times a week, he would write her letters. He would write her love letters. Uh, I don't want to get any of our men in trouble, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of us here. You've received love letters, amen? In modern day, that's called texts, okay? You've received... But there was something special about, about love letters. Uh, one summer, Yvette and I, when we uh, were engaged, I was living in Delaware working. She was in Tennessee going to school, and, uh, and uh, she used to send me letters. I'd send her letters. I'd send her cards. Some of you have heard the story that I had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on cards. Well, maybe not exactly that much, but I had spent a, enough that it filled up the whole wall of her dorm uh, her dorm room, and so isn't that precious? And other girls would just come in, and they would look at it, and they would swoon and say, "Wish my boyfriend would do that." And so she's moving out of her dorm, and we're taking cards down off the wall, and and and, and I'm packing them, you know, stacking them all neatly. And I said, "Babe, what do you want me to do with these?" And she goes, "Oh, you can throw them away." I was like, um. <coughs> I was like. Um. She goes, I, I guess I should have told you, but I really don't like cards. <laughs> would you all reach your hand and pray for us, you know, that this marriage would survive? But, um, but you know, there's just something special. She would. She'd send me letters. She would send me notes and stuff, and, and, and I would keep those notes. But this, this man, he was writing her letters, and she'd get the letters, and she would look at those letters, and she would read them, and, and she would just value every word, word by word. And she would think about her fiancé, and she would picture him, and just couldn't wait till he gets home, till they get married, and all these warm, fuzzy feelings and thoughts that she was having. And, and so she would store them. And so week after week, she'd get these letters, and month after month, and after a year or more, he's gone. So finally, one day, he comes and he knocks on the door, and he shows up at the door. And when he shows up, she's so surprised that he's there. And he says, hey, sweetheart, I'm home. And she goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've loved your letters. And she turns around and runs and goes and gets this box and brings it back. And she opens the box and she goes, look, I've kept all of your letters. I've, I've read them and I've reread them and I've, I've looked at the words and I've touched the paper and I've, I've smelled you. Oh, I love your letters. They're just so wonderful. And, and the phrases that you would use and, and the way that you would, you, you know, you would describe things. Oh, you're just so gifted in writing. It's, oh, I just love your letters. This is so wonderful that you would send me these letters. Anybody see a problem? (laughs) He's standing right there. (laughs) He's standing right there. And so I wonder if at times, I wonder if at times we approach God that way. Oh, God, we love your word and we read your word and we study your word and we've got to be obedient to the word. And look, I'm not diminishing the word. I believe in the word. But I want to tell you that the Word is a love letter to us. The Bible is a love letter to us to bring us into an intimate relationship with the loving Lord and creator of all of the universe. So every time 
every time we read the word, let's let it direct our hearts, direct our lives into that personal relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we really do. We love you so much. And we are, we're thankful for the Bible. We're thankful for the stories. We're thankful for our history. We're thankful for the instructions. We're thankful for the promises. We're thankful, God, for the faithfulness of your word. But can we say, God, that we love you today. (laughs) We love you and we welcome you to come. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you just to come and to, to help increase our love for you, oh God. Help and draw us closer through your word. Motivate us to, to be more intimate, more in relationship with you than, we, than we've ever been, God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to do that today. We, uh, we take authority over anything. Come on, church. We take authority over anything that would distract us or hinder us from receiving your word as a gift of love and relationship today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So the book of Colossians, we're going to be in that for the next couple of weeks. I want to just give a little bit of setting, kind of lay a little bit of a foundation that we'll be able to build upon. As I mentioned, Paul is writing this book to the church at Colossae. The church at Colossae had been started by a guy named Epaphras, and he had been, um, he had been some historians say that he had been saved under Paul's ministry when he was preaching at Ephesians. Paul had gone on these missionary journeys and Hallelujah, everybody should go on missionary journeys from time to time. It helps us there. But Paul's on this missionary journeys. He's in Ephesus. He's preaching. He's there for a few years. Uh, Revival's going on. People are getting saved. They're going back to their towns and their villages. And that's what had happened here in the city of of Colossae. So this church had started, but, but in the midst of this church, some difficulties arose. Now, I know that's a surprise. Everybody's shocked that churches would ever have a problem. Who's ever heard of such a thing taking place? But uh, how many people know churches are made up of people, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you right now, okay? And sometimes people have problems and issues. And so in this church, some heresies... Uh, sprang up. There was some, uh, an attack of the devil that tried to defeat this, this startup church. And, and, and the enemy attacked them like I believe he attacks us today by doing a few things. One is that this, this teaching rose up that said, well, Jesus is really not God. A good man, good prophet, a good, good teacher, good, but, he, but, he, but not really God. Don't, don't we hear that in our world today? You can believe in Jesus, he's a good man, but, but God, well, that's going a bit far. A second part of the heresy was that they were denying, because he wasn't God, that he's really Lord, that he's the one that we should submit ourselves totally and completely. And, and I'm a little concerned that maybe that's part of what's going on in our world today in many places where people are saying, oh, Jesus is a great savior and he's a great friend and he's a great buddy and he's a good old boy and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Jesus is much more than that. He's Lord. Okay, he's worthy. And Paul, one of the things he does in this writing is he, he defends the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then they said that, that, the, that they, they attacked the idea that, that Jesus, what he did by coming and living a sinless life, by coming and, and, and giving his life on the cross, by, by, by suffering and by dying, and, and then by being resurrected, that that was sufficient 
for our salvation and for us to be able to have a renewed, a restored relationship with God. They were saying, no, there's still things you've got to do. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times, been times in my life where I've believed that. Where, well, uh, yeah, Jesus, he, he saved me, he died for me, he's resurrected. But I've got to be sure that I pray enough, or I've got to be sure that I read the Bible enough, or I've got to be sure that I do good enough, or don't step on a crack, or I've got to do all these things and march to all of these kind of religious orders and religious structure. And what I'm saying is Jesus isn't enough. Can I tell you today, Jesus is enough. <laughs> Come on, we say it with me. Jesus is, come on, one more time. Jesus, he's enough, okay? What Jesus did. And, and so what they're doing really is they're blending all of these, they're blending some beliefs from Greek philosophy. They're blending some, uh, some religious things, some Jewish legalism, okay? Anybody ever heard any religious legalism? You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Don't, don't go to there, don't. Uh, do that, you know, just all kinds of, of legalism. And if you're legalistic enough, well, then you'll be religious enough and you'll be good enough. Hey, folks, we'll never be good enough. In and of ourselves, we'll never be good enough. Our salvation is completely based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so what they were doing is they were mixing this together. They were taking some, some superstition and, you know, carrying lucky rabbit's feet and all that kind of stuff, and they were mixing it all together. And Paul says, wait a minute, I love you too much to let you live this way. And so this is why I believe that this is a very important word for us today. And I tell you, the, the world is always trying to push things into the church. The enemy is always trying to bring confusion to, to people's lives. He's always trying to, to get people to believe that there's a little bit more that you need to do to get saved. Listen, we don't have to do anything to get saved except, except to accept right the finished work of Jesus Christ. I mean, now once we accept Jesus, once we are born again, boy, we're motivated to do a lot of things for him. Amen? We're motivated and filled by his spirit to accomplish a lot of things. So, so Paul is saying, hey, I want to draw you back from being this, this twisted belief. I want to get you out of all of this, um, this, this focus off of Jesus and get your focus back on, the, on Jesus. That, that's what Colossians is all about. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want to do something kind of weird and abstract and, uh, and maybe just off the wall a little bit. I want to read the Bible uh, in church, okay? Uh, let, I want us to read through the Bible. I'm going to make a couple of comments, and then I'm going to come back to something that I really believe God wants to minister to us in a special way. So let's begin. Let's begin in chapter one, um, chapter one of Colossians. Ready? Paul starts writing, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So Paul's, <clears throat> Paul is writing this letter to this church. Epaphras had come and visited him, had told him all the things that are going on. Now Paul says, hey, listen, because God has raised me up as an apostle, because God has given me this authority and influence, I'm going to send a letter back to the church with you to help encourage them. And so he, he goes on and he says this, he says, to the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace and peace from God. Grace and peace. And, and if you have your Bible, what I would do is just circle 
that uh, highlight that on your phone or whatever, grace and peace. Uh, many people would say, oh, that's just kind of a traditional greeting uh, from Paul. And many times when I read the scripture, uh, the, I'll kind of gloss over those first introductory remarks because Paul says this in every book that he writes. He says, grace and peace to you. Some places he'll say grace and peace and mercy to you. But every place that he writes it, and I don't want to spoil the surprise, but I'll tell you this. I believe that it's much more than a formal greeting. I believe he's giving an impartation into the church. I believe he's saying, hey, listen, we are people of grace. We have people who, everybody knows what grace is, right? Grace, we receive what we didn't deserve. We receive the goodness of God. We receive the finished work of Jesus. We receive the love of God. We never could have earned it on our own. That's grace. He says grace and peace. And he's giving an impartation. We're people of grace and people of peace. And he says grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Right up front he's saying he's not just the prophet Jesus. He's not the teacher Jesus. He's, he's not just some self-proclaimed something. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, he's the one, he's the master, he's the, the supreme being. And so then Paul spends the next few verses, and we're not going to get into a lot of it here, but he spends those next few verses just talking about how much we love you and we pray for you and, and, um, and, and we're encouraging you and we're thankful for you. He's just kind of giving them some warm fuzzies, all right? He's, he's saying, you guys, I'm, we're so proud of you. And, and then, and, and let me say this, he keeps putting in here, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. Can I tell you that things you love, you will pray for? Things you love. I've said this before. People haven't always liked it, but I've said, hey, listen, don't tell me you love your wife if you're never praying for her. Come on now, right? You know, oh, I love my kids so much. I give them everything they want. Can I tell you, maybe if you really love your kids, what you'll do is you'll get up a few minutes earlier and you'll pray for them. Okay? You'll spend some time in prayer for them. You'll love the lost. You'll pray for them. You love people who aren't like you. You'll pray for them. You love right somebody of a, of a different sexuality. You'll pray for them. Somebody of a different race. You'll pray for them. Don't tell me. Okay? And I'm telling you, the Lord convicts me about this. Oh, God, I love. Really? You, how, how much are you praying for them? How much are you, are you really spending? How much are you investing in them? So we pray for the things that we love. And then Paul goes into another section of Scripture where he begins to really define the lordship of Jesus Christ, all right? Beginning in verse, um, in verse 9, we'll pick up there. He says, um, he says, for this reason, also since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Now, there's a litany, there's a list of things here. And just for uh, time's sake, let me just tell you what this list says. I wrote it down here. Um, what, what he's really saying, he's, he's saying, I want you, here's what, a, here's what a good life, here's what a life lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ said, uh, what it means. These are the things that you will get. I don't see where I wrote it down. So he, he said, these are the things that you're going to get if you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's just look at them. You'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. Anybody ever here ever wanted to know the will of God? Nobody's ever, that explains a whole lot right there, right there. So, 
And we all want to know the will of God, right? We want to know what's God's will for our life. And can I tell you that when we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, one of the things is he will reveal his will to us. And then you'll have spiritual wisdom. You'll have spiritual understanding. You will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. You know what? This is one of the things that I think that we've got to catch in our hearts that God is not ticked off at you and God is not looking for a reason to take you to the woodshed and give you a spanking. That God loves you and God is pleased with you and God wants to help you and God is on your side and God wants to grow you up and pour blessing in your life so he can pour blessing through your life. Amen? That's what he wants to do. It says, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. Be fully pleasing to him. Be fruitful in every good work. Okay, look what he's not saying. He's not saying, do all these things so that you can be my child. He's saying, because you are my child, because you are living in a relationship with me, now you can do all these things. We don't do good works because uh, to get saved. We do work good works because we are saved. Amen. We, we don't do good works to get, uh, to, you know, we don't serve to get saved. We serve because we are saved, amen? Because we are his sons and because we are his daughters. And so he goes on, he says, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. I love this New Testament word, knowledge. It's gnosko. What it means is, is to be in an intimate relationship, have intimacy with God. And so he says, be strengthened with all might and according to his glorious power that you might have patience and long suffering with joy. Doesn't this sound like God wants good things for you? He wants your life filled with patience and long suffering. He wants you to be filled with strength and might and power and ability. Look, this is how God sees us. We're not victims, we're not weak, we're not anemic, we're not the people that are barely making it, we're not the people that are just hoping to get out of here, you know, by the hair of our head. We're people who are overcomers in the name of Jesus. We're victorious. And so he goes on and he says, because of that, we can give thanks to the Father who has qualified. He's made us worthy. We could have never been worthy on our own, but he's made us worthy to be, uh, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Okay, in light, what's that mean? Well, let's read on. He goes on. He says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Delivered us from the power of darkness. I'd like to camp here for a little while. Because I'm telling you, I believe that we somehow or another, we have bought into a belief that the work of the enemy and the work of the kingdom of darkness is equal to and as powerful as the work to the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, that is not true. Okay? How many times have you ever walked into a dark room and turned on the light, having paid the electric bill, and turned on the light, right? And darkness says, no, I refuse to go. It doesn't have a choice. Let me tell you, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, he is not an equal rival to God. He's not an equal rival to your father. He's not an equal match to you living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Hey, this is good news, folks. This is good news. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the son of his love in whom... We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. 
You know what he's saying? He said, this is grace. Listen, this is grace. This is what grace is. Hey, folks, grace isn't the ability, okay, to just put up with sin in our lives. Grace is the ability to overcome sin and to walk in the fullness of the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. It really is. And so in this next section of Scripture, beginning at verse 15, he begins to talk about who Jesus is. And if I could just summarize it, Basically, he says this. He says that he is the image of the invisible God, okay? He, he is the one. You want to know what God looks like? Anybody ever want to know what God looks like? Just look at Jesus. He, he, it pleased God that all of the fullness, all of the image of God should be manifest in the man Christ Jesus. And, and so, guys, I'm telling you, that, that, that Paul goes into this, this teaching here, and he says, Jesus is Lord over all of creation. We can read it real quick. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth, visible and, is, and invisible, whether thrones or, or dominions or principalities or powers. It doesn't matter what it is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, about these, these things that, that, that think they have power, think they have authority and influence in our lives, but really they're subject to Jesus. Okay, and so he goes on, he says this, that all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. You and I were created by Jesus and for Jesus. The reason we live is to serve him. The reason we live is to accomplish his purpose, is to accomplish his will, is to do what he wants because, you know what, how many people noticed that Things got messed up a little bit around here, okay? I'm not just, I'm not talking this building. I'm talking about in this world. You see, he created all things, and he created them wonderfully. He created them in perfection. As a matter of fact, God looks out and says, hey, it's good. And then it got messed up. Anybody seen any stuff messed up? Anybody watch the news this week? You don't have to watch it long. Matter of fact, I encourage you, don't watch it too long, <laughs> Things are messed up. But can I tell you, Jesus came to earth, and when he came, he overcame everything that was messed up, and he's putting it back in right order. I'm telling you, and part of his plan to bring things back into right order that will ultimately culminate in eternity, putting things back in, is you. You're God's plan for restoration and for redemption right here on plan, in planet earth. And so he says he's Lord over creation. Verse 17, he's before all things. All things exist by him. He's the head of the body, the church. The head of the church. He's the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Big C church, okay? Big C, global church, church universal, church around the world. Jesus is the head of it. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the head of local church, little C church, new covenant church. Okay? Not, not Pastor Sam, not Pastor Chris, not, not elders, leaders, not Jesus. Look at, say it with me. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And this is important. This is important because when we do things, when we serve in the church, we're not serving the church. We're not serving the people. We're serving Jesus by serving people. Amen? Come on, church, all right? 
It's when, when you run sound, when you, when you do the tech, when you serve in children's ministry, when you greet, when you play in the band, when, whatever you do, you're doing it to serve Jesus. To serve Jesus because it's his church. It's his church. Amen. He's the, bo- he's the head of the body of the church. <clears throat> the firstborn of the dead that in all things he may have preeminence. You know what preeminence means? It means first place. First place. That Jesus may have first place in everything, especially in our lives. I would just ask you, man, the Lord's been asking me this question. I've had to deal with it. You might as well have to deal with it, right? Does Jesus have first place in your life? Does he really have first place in our lives? Now, why does God want this for us? Why does he want this for us? It's because, one, it'll produce all those things we already talked about. We'll be strengthened. We'll receive power. We'll receive uh, you know, authority. We'll, we'll, we'll grow. We'll mature. Uh, and later in, in the scriptures, he says this. Later in Colossians, he says this, that we can, pl- can present you fully mature. That, that's God's plan. He wants us to grow up, to be fully mature, to be fruitful, to abound in the work of the kingdom of God. This, God wants good things for us. That's why... We are people. That's why he talks about the lordship of Jesus. As a matter of fact, verse 19, I think, sums it up well. He says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the cross. Having made peace through the cross. Folks, we, we, can never, we, we can never lose sight of this. We, we read it earlier. At one time, we were alienated from God. We weren't just separated from God. We were enemies of God. And Jesus came and he said, hey, I'm going to broker a peace deal here. Not like the Middle East peace talks, but I'm going to broker a peace deal here. And the price for peace is going to be my life. I'm going to lay my life down so that you can be at peace with God. As a matter of fact, the scripture says this like this, you who were once alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works. Anybody ever had any wickedness in their life, any evil thoughts, unrighteous things? We all have. Look what he says. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach. Folks, there's so much here. Look, look, God wants there to be peace in your life. And so I, I want to I stop right here from the scripture, that scripture, and just say, as I was preparing for this message, and I've been studying Colossians for weeks now, and, and man, there's all kinds of things, and there's words, I mean, that, that just that mean so much. And, and I just encourage you, read the Bible. <laughs> okay. Read the Bible. So as I was... As I was praying, I was reading one, I was out in the yard doing some things, and, and I kept feeling this, this, God, there's something, there's something that just, I don't know, I don't have a peace about what you're wanting to say here. And he said, well, that's it, it's peace. I said, okay, well, what are you wanting to say, God? He goes, well, you, you, need, you need to have peace. And I said, oh, all right, God, I, I get that. But I, so I was conflicted. I'm going, what are you wanting to say, God? He said, it's peace. You're missing peace about this because my people are missing peace in their relationship with me. 
Now, I, I don't understand always how the Holy Spirit does this, but can I tell you that today I do know this. Listen to me, folks. Very important time here, all right? I, I believe this. You've heard from the Lord multiple times today. Multiple times. Mike and, Mike and I talked this morning. He said, man, God's given me this word about peace. I'm saying, hey, you know what? I, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I believe that there are people that are here. He said, my people are struggling, and we hear it all the time. We hear people talking about how filled with anxiety they are, how overwhelmed they are, how out of, man, I'm just, I just need a break. I just need days at the beach, and those are great things. We all need to rest. We all need to nap. Be blessed. Go home, take a nap this afternoon. Thus says the Lord, amen, you know, all that. But can I tell you, can I tell you, we've got to be people. We get to be, and we've got to be people who live in peace. I want to share with you just a couple of quick things about peace. And I didn't give these to the tech team, so gather them, write them down, go back and listen to this. God blesses our lives with peace. When we're reconciled to God in peace, when we're walking in peace, God does some things that are very important for us. One is I believe that God, that peace is a major way that God directs our lives. People, how many people do you know there? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do in a relationship. I don't know what to do in a job situation. I don't know what to do in, in, with my kids in a life situation. And, and God's saying this. He's saying, hey, Mike quoted it there, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And, and can I say this? The peace of God is not some abstract something. It's something you can feel. Has anybody ever been, not been at peace about something? You, you can feel it. You can know it. it, it it's not something that's, that's just way out somewhere. It, it's something that's real. And, and can I say this? The peace of God is tangible, and you can trust the peace of God. Yeah. If you're making a decision you don't have a peace about it, don't do it. Okay? You, we need the peace of God in our lives. I'm telling you, there have been so many times in our lives, and, and I mean a litany of times, I could just give you times when, when we've been making decisions and, and, and not been at peace, not had peace about it, but sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can talk myself into it being the right thing even if I don't have peace. I've done some things and not had peace, and can I tell you, they've never turned out good in my life, okay? I remember years ago, um, I was working at a church, and they, man, they came up with this great, this this multi-level, everybody, we're all going to get rich, we're all going to be able to be able to fund the kingdom, and we're all going to be able to, and I know none of you would ever be a sucker for that, you'd never buy into it, but I, oh, this sounds great, we're going to be independently wealthy, and it's just going to be fantastic, and so I came home and I told Yvette, oh man, look at this, we've got this opportunity, and let's take, we didn't have any money, but we had money in our kids' savings accounts, so let's take the kids' money out of their savings accounts, and we're going to take this money, and, and, and her thing was, I don't know about that. I don't feel good about that. So, wow, you're just always negative about stuff, you know. And I mean, that's not true, but that's, that's in my mind. And, and I went ahead and did this. And can I tell you that I lost a lot of money that we just couldn't afford to lose and didn't have in that situation. And it, there wasn't any peace about it. And I overrode, I overrode peace to do what I wanted, and it brought bad results. I'm telling you, you can't override peace and expect the blessing of God in your life. I can remember another time we had the opportunity. I had been invited to um, 
come on board and kind of help coordinate and run this marriage ministry. And uh, man, I was all excited about it. I was preaching, you know, teaching about marriage, doing all kinds of that kind of stuff. And, and uh, Yvette and I went to this big deal they were having about it. And, and, um, and again, she, she, it's amazing how much God speaks to her and then I have to hear her secondhand. But, um, but, but you know, she was going, I don't have peace about it. And when she said that, man, I recognized that there wasn't peace and st- we said no. We turned down this this situation, and and later it, God saved us from a disaster. I'm telling you, peace is one of the ways that God directs our lives. The second thing is, is that peace protects our hearts and our minds. Philippians chapter four says this: Be anxious for nothing. And understand my heart. I believe in mental health situations. I believe in counseling. I believe in medication if you need medication. But somewhere along the line, you can bail me out on this later, all right? Somewhere along the line, folks, we have, we, it has become, it's become um, apropos. It's become uh, cool. It's become uh, kind of one of those things. Everybody's got anxiety now and there. Everybody needs to be on medication for it. I mean, I mentioned this a couple of weeks back that, 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 that you know, middle school kids, fifth graders, third graders being put on medication. And, and, and I, hey, I was there I, as an 11-year-old. I can remember being put on, on this medication because I was being stressed out about, about pressure being put on me about Little League baseball and having to perform and do this. And, and it just became trying to control my life. And the key there, it was trying to control my life. The key about anxiety is it tries to control your life. In the Bible, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. I heard a minister say this. He said, anxiety is not a condition. It's a choice. It's a choice. And the choice isn't about whether or not to be anxious or not. The choice is whether or not I'm going to submit and trust my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Will I submit to him? Will I trust him? Will I yield to him? And if we'll begin to do that, I believe. Listen, if you need medication right now, okay. But can I tell you, let's start with submitting our lives to God. I believe we can make the choice to be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Hey, what you're worrying about, what you're fretting over, what you're fearful about, pray about it. Don't just internalize it and try to think about it from 47 different directions. Take it to the Lord. And when we make it known to God, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. It'll bring peace. Listen to that. Which, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Look, folks, I understand that there's times when we should not be at peace, when it feels like we shouldn't be at peace about something. You get a report that there's, there's cancer and, and, and the doctor's saying there's no hope and there's no cure. But you know what? I believe that we can still have peace because just like the song that we sang this morning, he is our healer. And when the doctors don't know what to do, when the doctors don't have an answer, we can say, I'm going to put my trust in God no matter what happens. I'm going to live in peace. I'm going to live in peace. Man, the, the marriage is falling apart. The finances are going to hell. I mean, all of this is taking place, and, and you know what? And, and it seems like we should be stressed out about it and worry about it and fret about it, but can I tell you that God can give us a peace that goes beyond human understanding, and it will guard us. It will protect us. It will help us. 
It will help us. And the third thing I was going to say is that peace gives us power. Mike preached it already. Step to the bow of the boat. And, and what, what's he declare? I wish I could shout like Mike could shout. If I did, I wouldn't be able to talk for a week. But, you know, sometimes, and, and if you need to shout, you shout. But sometimes, you know, what all you got to do is go, peace, peace. Uh, why couldn't the disciples do this? It wasn't in them. You can only give what's in you. And can I, I'm telling you today that what God wants to do is he wants to put some peace in you so that you can get into some situations and some circumstances. And those circumstances are crises. There's chaos all around. And you're going to step into the middle of it, and all of a sudden, peace is going to manifest. Why do we have a hard time believing this? Why do we have a hard... Has anybody ever been in a situation, all of a sudden somebody gets mad and somebody throws a fit and they... they has anybody, nobody's ever been in a situation like that, you know? Everything's wonderful and all of a sudden somebody's kicking over a table and throwing a beer bottle or something like that. Your family didn't grow up like that? I mean, you know? And so things are going like this and all of a sudden you're... you're one, I mean, one person has just changed the whole atmosphere of the whole room. Anybody ever been there? Then let me ask you, why can one person not step into that carrying the abiding peace of God which passes understanding, and why can it not change a situation? I'm telling you, it can. The Bible says, it says this, it says, when you go into a city, you go into a home, and they receive you in that home, let your peace come as an impartation, and you can change the dynamic. As a matter of fact, if you read the Scripture... The scripture goes, let me, can I turn to one scripture here? In uh, Luke, thank you. In, uh, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, real quick, I just looked this up this morning here. Luke chapter 10, listen to this. I, I've read the scripture hundreds of times, but let me just read this to you. It says, but whatever house you enter, verse 5 through 10 says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. That's not just saying words, that's releasing impartation. You're going to give what you got. You're going to, amen, do you know that? And I believe there's a world that's looking for an impartation of peace. Listen to the scripture. Listen, guys, I'm saying, listen to this, okay? And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give you for the labors worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. In whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things are set before you. And then look at verse 9. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I, I, I'm not going to make a doctrine out of this, but you know what I read here? Peace precedes miracles. I, I'm telling you, if you come, how many times ministering to people here at the altar and praying for people and, and, and saying, hey, listen, okay, I, I hear the problem, I hear the situation, I hear the circumstance, but can I tell you, God is greater than your sickness. God's got more healing. God's got more medicine than you'll ever have sickness and pain. Amen? And all of a sudden, you begin to see people begin to trust. They begin to submit. But how do we get this peace? I believe they're the main way. The main way. Go ahead and stand with me, church. The main way this morning. Hallelujah. The main way today is to submit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ.